0: Thank you very much, and please be seated. You wonder what's going through their minds, right, (laughs) at that age. All right. Matthew chapter (coughs) 2, in our Bibles this morning, Uh, Matthew chapter number 2, and let's read um, just verse 11. All right. Verse 11, then we'll pray, then we'll go back to the, be, to the beginning of the chapter. But uh, Matthew 2 and verse 11, of course, this is talking about the wise men. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and <laughs> worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for thy precious word, and we thank thee for this opportunity today, and even for the great hymns that we have sung that just remind us of the greatness of our God and are the first hymn of the joy of walking with thee and, and, and marching toward Zion. We're so thankful for that. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray for his help and leading in the message today, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Well, as we've been going through the book of Luke, obviously the greatest and most precious truth that we have seen is the birth of the Son of God, the fact that God came into the world, um, the time when God became man in order to save us from our sins. Um, I hope that none of us, none of you have lost the wonder of that God would do that and that his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come to to this earth. And and as we go through the book of Luke, we're going to just see so many of the things, not only the things that he taught, uh, the things that he did, miracles and works, but also the great things that he suffered. Um, From the very time of his birth, um, he suffered. Even having to flee to Egypt. And we'll see that probably next Sunday morning, Lord willing. I just felt like the Lord was directing that we ought to take time to look at some of these other events that aren't covered in the book of Luke. And so obviously this one in Matthew uh, chapter 2 is one of several events. I just want us to think for a moment of several events and people that are part of this record, uh, part of the great story of Christ coming to earth. Um, such as the ministry of angels. We don't see that today. I mean, we're not supposed to. Uh, the, the, the angels minister, but more in, a, in an invisible way today. In fact, maybe when you get to heaven, we'll have the opportunity. God may show us how many times the angels intervened or helped us you know, on, on our behalf. And as they were directed by the Lord, you have the, you know, the ministry of the angels, Gabriel, talking to uh, Zacharias and Mary, and then the angels announcing his birth, and then the visit of the shepherds as they came, um, the witness of Simeon and Anna, the praise and the contemplations of Mary. And we're going to find out as we go through the book of Luke, and even, uh, you know, that there are things that Mary and Joseph were learning. Uh, they didn't know everything. Mary didn't know everything about her son um, probably not until after he died on the cross and rose again and then this morning's message revolves around another of those connected events remember god orchestrated this Um, as far as we as far as i could tell um, the only reason that that star was in the sky in fulfillment of prophecy was to bring the wise men there to jerusalem and later to bethlehem uh, it's a thrilling account. Um, just think about the visit of the wise men, they, those wise men from the east, as the scripture tells us, of whom it is said, they fell down and worshipped him. So, uh, we just—we talk today, we probably talk every Lord's Day, and we pray, and we talk about events going on in the world, and we think about how you know, things are bad in the world today, um, all over the place, our country, all over the world, we hear about all kinds of things going on. Well, what kind of a world do you think that Jesus was born into, huh? Look at verse 1, when, now when Jesus was born, so he's already been born. In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, let's just stop there for a moment. The days of Herod the king. That's a few things about him. It's a you know he's part of the story. Um, he's part of what was going on during that time. Um, he was known as Herod the Great because of his loyalty to Rome, and so because he was so. Loyal to the Roman Empire and catered to Caesar and did everything that he was supposed to do. He was known as Herod the Great. He was anointed, appointed rather by not anointed, appointed by Rome and given authority over the area around Jerusalem. Because of this, because of his realm, uh, he became known as, uh, interestingly enough, King of the Jews. Now he certainly liked that title. For Herod was a very proud, very vain, arrogant, conceited, all those things. He was also, we would say today, he was paranoid. Um, You'll see that, you probably know this already, but we're going to go over some of these things again. Another thing about Herod, in order to curry favor with Rome and also with Israel even though he basically hated the Jews, he still wanted to be complimented by them and so on. He carried out some lavish building projects, including the cities of Caesarea and Samaria and the lavish remodeling of the temple in Jerusalem. And that temple came to be known as Herod's temple because of all the, the money and resources he put into it. Remember in John chapter 2 when Jesus said destroy this temple in three days I'll build it again. He was referring to his body. But do you, do you remember what the people said? Forty and six years was this temple in building. That's talking about the work that Herod oversaw and ordained and so forth to remodel and refurbish and la- you know, lavishize um, the temple Um, there in Jerusalem, and obviously he was the king at the time of Jesus' birth. One other thing about him, um, he had ten wives. Because of his suspicious attitude and paranoia, and because of imagined conspiracies against him, he executed one of his wives and his three oldest sons. That's the man that the wise men came to Jerusalem. And encountered that wasn't the reason for coming, but they had to deal with this man, this king. And so, that um, says this. Then there's the the time frame, the days of Herod. This would have been about four B.C. in there, as the calendar was being re- rearranged, everything or, or would be later. It says there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now you've heard that word. Magi. The Greek term is actually magoi. And it has a couple of basic definitions. It means wise man or wise men, which we'll t- take a, look, a little a look more in a moment. But it also can be defined or described as sorcerer, depending on the context. Um, for example, in Acts chapter 13, we read about Elymas, the sorcerer that Paul encountered, who tried to stop the work. Um, Same word, same word translated wise men here in Matthew chapter two. And so these men, they were obviously they were Gentiles, they were from the east, which means the area of Persia, Babylon, or even beyond. Um, These men were diligent students. They were called Magi or wise men because they were wise In the things of this world. They were they were they were they were students of everything and anything that was available for learning, which meant they would have been students of religion, philosophy, science, history, astronomy, anything that could be studied. They would also have studied whatever Old Testament scriptures were available at that time. They were Gentiles. I realized that they were, no doubt, idolaters at some point in their life, probably studied astrology, whatever. As I said, whatever there was to study, they studied it. Oh, there's the, the, the connection with Babylon because it was King Nebuchadnezzar who called his, what? Wise men, counselors, to come and tell him the dream. Well, they couldn't do that, and so Daniel came Daniel was able to interpret or give the dream and the interpretation. So what did, he, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He made Daniel chief of the what? Wise men. You'll see that, all right? And so um, there had to be a, there, and Daniel's influence, by the way, was great during the kingdom there, during his exile, during his captivity. And he had influence on Nebuchadnezzar, and he had influence on, on kings to follow him. So no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. At, at all, my mind that these wise men knew the scriptures; they knew the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then, why they came to Jerusalem? It says in verse one because that was the capital, that was the main city, that's where the temple was. And so they, they must have thought, well, you know, whatever is going to happen regarding Israel, King of the Jews. Jerusalem had to be connected, and so they went there. Obviously, this was the Lord's direction to bring them to that place. Um, Then notice in verse 2, the question, their inquiry. Say, where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. So the king of the Jews, that's a term, another term um, for the Messiah, the Christ, the deliverer, the promised savior and king of the nation of Israel. Notice that's what they said. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And so they knew his connection to the people of Israel. He knew that this one who was born was, was specially sent um, to the people of Israel. We have seen his star. In the east, and are come to worship Him, and, and listen. Don't I've read some of these articles, and I just kind of throw them in the garbage. People who say, "Well, it was a comet; it was just a natural thing that happened to be at that time." Absolutely not. It was a special manifestation, a visible star that God put there, and the only the only purpose it had was to lead those wise men. We'll see later on; it went right over the very house. No comet does that. All right. God put it there, and God ordained it and and used it to lead. And so his star, I wonder, among the scriptures, um, notice, keep your place in Matthew, and look back in the book of Numbers for just a moment. Um, Numbers chapter number 24. Numbers 24. You know, we read that passage in Isaiah. We're going to look at that later on a little bit in the message. But I know it talks about the light Light and it talks about Zion's light. It talks about Jerusalem's light. Well, it wasn't the physical light of the city. It was the birth of the light of the world that they're talking about. And uh, Numbers chapter 24 and the you know the last line of that song. We three kings guide us to thy perfect light. Not the light of the star, not the light, but the light of Christ, the light of the world. So, Numbers 24. And you probably know that this is a great prophecy, but it came from the lips of an ungodly prophet. But anyway, the Lord so controlled Balaam, that he spoke the truth. Remember the story of Balaam and the king hired him and he did. God said, no, you're not going to curse Israel. Not going to do it. This is what you're going to say, this, 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 and this. And he did. And here's one of the things he said. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly, out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. So a lot of things there. Obviously that's looking to the future, when the Messiah will come and he will rule on earth and destroy the enemies. But obviously there's a, there's a reference there to his first coming as well. And so there's no doubt that's, pro- that's one of the scriptures that they had studied. And perhaps Daniel's writings and other places. But at any rate, they were moved by God. They were led by the Spirit of God to journey to um, Jerusalem. Okay? Let's turn back to Matthew um, chapter 2. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to realize that what a journey this would have been. It would have taken them months to make the journey, probably with some kind of a caravan, camels, whatever. It even talks about dromedaries there in in Isaiah chapter 60. Um, But they came. The planning. um, You know, probably the star appeared very early after Jesus was born. You know, some of our Christmas carols kind of get it mixed up. You know, they say the shepherds saw the star. They probably didn't. But anyway, they saw the angel. But, but the, the star appeared, you know, very early. Perhaps the very night that he was born. But, any, but at any rate, they got ready. They had to go. They had to make some preparations and plans for the journey. Think about taking all the provisions, whatever they would need. And so they, but they did it. They came. They went to Jerusalem. We have seen, verse 2 again, we have seen his star in the east, in the orient, in the eastern part. Again, probably Persia, Babylon, um, that area. And it says this, we are come to check it out. Is that right? We're come out of curiosity to see what's going on. No, it says we are come to worship him. Worship him. And this word that's translated worship here is to worship, and the idea is to pay homage, to show reverence, to kneel down or bow down before. A form of this Greek word is used 60 times in the New Testament. And every time it is connected with worship. In fact, 36 times it's translated worship. 23 times worshiped, like in our text. And worshiping. One time. So, they came to worship uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the King of the Jews, the Messiah, who had been born. And as I read that verse, just that little statement, come to worship Him. I was reminded about how we need to worship Christ. He's worthy of our worship. And that's what we hope to do when we meet when we meet together, but especially on Sunday mornings, but other times as well. You know, there's a reason we, we refer to this as the morning worship, because that's what we're here for—to worship the Lord, and and our singing and everything we do is to be in, an act of worship to the Lord. And so they came, and how they must have been so excited! I mean, God did that just for them. <laughs> so then the second thing we want to look at this morning is the vexation of Herod. We have the the visit of the wise men, and we have the vexation of Herod, starting in verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. word troubled there means to be disturbed, to be thrown into confusion, to be distressed, to be agitated. And it's interesting, I find here, it's sad, it's tragic, but it's ironic that Herod did not doubt the reality of the prophecy. That there would be one born. We're going to see that in a minute, obviously. But again, because of the kind of person he was, the kind of man he was, um, anybody that would have one or his wife executed and three older sons because he considered them rivals, what about what do you think when somebody, they come in and they ask the very question, Title that he was known by. Where is he, this born king of the Jews? And Herod's thinking, "Wait a minute, that's I'm king of the Jews." And so he was troubled, and and of course, all Jerusalem was troubled for many reasons. They were probably thinking about, you know, is this is this the one? Has the Messiah come? But no doubt they also were thinking about, boy, this is this is not going to be good for us, because when Herod's troubled, everybody's troubled. You know, like when mom's unhappy, everybody's unhappy, you know, right? But they were unhappy. They were, they were wondering what is going on. And so, notice he calls his demand in verses 4 through 6, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, that is, the people of Israel, the religious leaders of the Jews, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now, I don't know if Herod himself had any knowledge of Scripture. I don't know if he realized the answer was very simple, very straightforward. In verse 5, they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, which of course was right next door, was part of Herod's domain, for thus it is written by the prophet, and that was Micah who wrote that about 700 years before Christ, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And the governor, there's the idea of a ruler, one, one who would rule over. It's interesting that the word rule here literally means to, to, to watch over like a shepherd. And of course, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is he's the great shepherd, he's the good shepherd, and he would have gathered Israel together, Jerusalem together, like a hen does her chickens, and so on. They wouldn't. And, of course, then they would ultimately reject him when he came to them. But they gave him the answer. They said, he will be born in Bethlehem. I want you to notice Herod's directive Again, we 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 see from this that he had he did not doubt the prophecy. He understood from what these these men said that, that there was God had prophesied that the, a king would be born. Because then he had he hatched his plan. Verse seven. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, neither he arranged a private meeting and cried of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now again, the Bible doesn't tell us how many wise men there were, but you have to admire the courage of these men to be able to face Herod. Now they were on a mission. They were on a mission to find the Christ, the King of the Jews, and they were going to let nothing stop them. And again, what a, what a tremendous example and lesson. This account this of the wise men is filled with so many wonderful examples Lessons that we can learn. So they went before the king. He inquired of them diligently. That simply means he to learn by diligent or exact inquiry. In other words, exact. When did you first see this star? And they told him about the, how long they had traveled and when they had seen it and everything like that. Verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search diligently. In other words, look, do whatever you have to do, for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now just think about that for a minute. Obviously he's lying. His intended deception here, he says, Go. And searched diligently. So once again, here's a wonderful example of of head knowledge. Herod knew that the scriptures were right. He knew there were prophecies. If he didn't, he wouldn't have sent them to find him. So Herod was not an atheist. I happen to believe there are no atheists, but that's another point. (laughs) Bible says clearly in Romans chapter 1, everyone knows there's a God. Everyone. But obviously he didn't doubt the word of God. He didn't deny the word of God. He despised it. He despised it. He's like many today. How many times have you ever heard somebody mock the word of God? Yet they know it in their heart. They know it's true they despise it because it convicts, because of their lifestyle for the most part. And so Herod didn't doubt the truth of what the wise men were saying, nor what the scribes and chief priests were saying. And so they go, look at their, here is the worship, the worship of the king, now we can worship him today. We need to worship him today. But I don't know about you, but I thought, man, it would have been so neat to be there. It would have been so great to be, on be up with those wise men as they went there. And so the Bible says this, and when they had heard the king, verse 9, they departed. So we see the rejoicing. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And probably, um, maybe I'm kind of speculating here, it doesn't really matter, but the idea seems that they saw the star, but the star was in the area of Israel, and they calculated that that, so they went to Jerusalem. But anyway, so that star, which they saw in the east, went before them, and so it led them, in other words, till it came and stood over where the young child was. You know, I think that's great. When we when we read about things like this, how God moved heaven, as it were, to bring the wise men on their journey, but I also think about Peter in Second Peter chapter one when he talks about the seeing the transfiguration, then he says we have a more sure word of prophecy. So we don't have to be we don't have to feel like we're, you know, we're left out or we're missing something because we have more than they had. We have the complete revelation of God. We have the complete scriptures. Thank God for that. Genesis to Revelation. Isn't, uh, isn't it a miracle? I think it's a miracle that we even have a Bible today. Because of all those you know, that tried to, uh, you know, try to destroy it. You got to go home, and I just want—for example, the great, the great hater of God, Voltaire, made it his life's, his life's purpose to get rid of the Bible. He said to his friends, he said publicly, "If we can only get rid of the Bible, we'll be able to get rid of Christianity." And he devoted his life. And shortly after Voltaire died. His house was purchased. It became a printing shop. And guess what was printed? Bibles. So God doesn't take it lightly when somebody openly attacks him. We were talking so much the other day about these people that devote their lives to fight a God or the God that they they think doesn't exist. How how crazy is that? Anyway. But... um, so the star came, but I was going to say what I said all that, to say this, we have, we have absolute confidence in the word of God. Jesus said, and we looked at it a couple weeks ago, that um, heaven and earth shall pass away, my words shall not pass away, one jot or one tittle shall, shall not pass from the law, till all be fulfilled, everything, in the word of God. So let's continue on let's get this and it says when they saw the star <clears throat> verse 10 they rejoiced with exceeding great joy by the way that's the same idea when they when they when the shepherds saw the angel they were sore afraid this is kind of like the opposite of that this this great joy abundant joy it's the same idea intense joy so listen beloved if they were just coming out of curiosity to see a new famous person be born. They would not have reacted like that. They, they weren't just joyful, they were greatly joyful. They were not just greatly joyful, they were exceeding grateful, joy, uh, grateful greatly joyful. Like that verse we've been looking at a couple of Wednesday nights, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And here are these men. They were filled with this joy, this great, exceeding joy. They saw the star and they came and it stopped. So Herod said, search diligently. They didn't have to. God just let them right there. And so what they do, verse 11, when they're coming to the house, right, so Jesus is not a baby anymore. He's not in the manger. At least he's not, you know, he's a few. He's a year, maybe, maybe a year old, maybe more than a year old. And so, it's very important what is said. You know, everything in the Bible is very important. They, come, they were coming to the house. All right? They saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Right? Joseph was not there. He might have been in the carpenter shop, whatever, he wasn't present. But it says they fell down. In other words, they knelt down. They they prostrated themselves before the child. And it says, and worshipped who? They worshipped him. Right? They did not worship him and Mary. Because Mary is not to be worshipped. Right? Mary is not to be prayed to. I hope you understand that. Mary is not a redeemer. She is not a as has been and lately there have been some things that have really been that have been spread around about Mary being a co redemptress In other words, that she is equal to Jesus as far as saving us from our sin. People have been seeing a vision different places in the world of Mary saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, you know that's not her. Because by the way, people don't well yes, let me I'm gonna say this because people do not come back from the dead. There's two am I thinking of maybe is there two? Well, I mean Jesus, that's he's a different category. I think of Samuel in the Old Testament when Saul went to the witch. And guess what? She was as we were saying today, she was freaked out of her mind when she actually saw Samuel. And then of course there's Moses and Elijah on the mountain of transfiguration. All right. But normally, people don't come back. And I was talking to... I've, ta- I've talked to so many people over the years that have dreams, and they think they saw their, their loved one come back. And I'm and I very kind of, because I understand the longing of their hearts and all that. And I really don't want to disappoint them, but I say, you know what? That's a trick. That's a trick of the devil. And the kids, if you think... You, if people talk about seeing ghosts, and they have these programs... Where they, and I've never watched one because I think it's ridiculous. But they have these people that actually go looking for ghosts, and and these weird things happen. Well, sure they do because we have a devil and demons who walk around and they, they they fool people. So UFOs are either phenomenons of the weather or their government secrets or their tricks of the devil. All right, there's no men from Mars or any place else. All right, um, how in the world? Oh, wow. That we get, a, get on that. You know the things that are going on out there. All right. <laughs> oh Mary, poor Mary. Sorry. <laughs> people ask me, do people in heaven know what's going on down here? And I said, I sure hope Mary doesn't know what's going on down here. She'll be heartbroken. You know the one time that that she was she was kind of confronted about this whole thing with Jesus. You know what she said? She said, "Do whatever he says. Do whatever he says." They came to Mary. You know they don't have any wine left for the wedding. Do what he says. It's not me. Don't, don't ask me. Do what he says. Because he's the one. Right? So anyway. So they didn't worship her. They worshiped him. Worthy. Worthy, worthy. They worshiped the right one. The son of God. Worthy of worship. I would call. I would just have you write down. If you're taking notes like Hebrews 1.6. When he bringeth the first begotten of the world. He saith, let all the angels of God worship him worship him worship Jesus Christ John in Revelation remember he went to worship the angel where he just said no 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 worship Christ worship God So they worshiped him which shows their heart it shows their spirit shows their mind in coming there But you know what they did they confirmed their worship versus the verse goes on to say, and when they had opened their treasures, they brought stuff with them, they presented, and that's a word that's used of offerings to God, and the offerings in the temple. And we talked about that last Sunday, when they came to present Jesus to the Lord. And the Bible tells us to present our bodies. It's all the same idea. It's to, to make an offering so they did that. And this is this is amazing. You've heard I know you've heard this before. And and so I. <laughs> it's not like I'm so old that I, you know, I'm forgetting everything and having to learn it over again. You know, but they presented unto him gifts. I like that word. Gifts. They didn't want anything in return. They just gave him. They just gave him gifts. Very familiar, you know what they are. They gave him gold, and as the the song that we sang, "Born a King in Bethle on Bethels Plain, Gold I bring to crown him again, King forever, ceasing never." over us all to reign. So gold, they recognized him as king. Of course, that's what they came for, right? They first of all said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Come to worship him. So they knew that he was going to be king, and he will be king. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I just I can't wait for that day We're just to, to see him. We're going to see him in heaven first. But then to see him king of kings and lord of lords and coming out of heaven. uh, You know, we're going to be with him. What, what What an amazing thing. Yes, he will be king. And they recognized that. They also presented unto him frankincense. Frankincense is mentioned several times in the Old Testament. And it was offered. It was also mixed with some other things back according to the book the Old Testament. And so, what did frankincense? What did they do with frankincense? Well, they, they offered it. One of the things they did is the priest would, you bur, would burn it on the altar of incense. And that would be an offering to God, and the smoke would come up and the aroma of the burning incense, and it was offered during times of prayer. Remember Zacharias? Where was he? He was burning incense. That was his duty as a priest. And what does it say about that? Remember what it says about that? He's offering incense and all the people in the temple, they were praying. Well, who do you pray to? God. So when they offered the incense, they were recognizing his deity. he's God. He's God. And then they offered myrrh. And this recognized him as the suffering savior. The fact that he came to die. Among the, among the spices there in John chapter 19, it gives some details about them, Nicodemus and others who came, and they brought spices, and one of the things that they brought to anoint the body of Jesus was myrrh, according to John 19. And that was a common use of myrrh. It wasn't the only use, but it was a common use, was to anoint the dead burial. As the Bible says there in John 19, as the custom of the Jews was to bury. So they did that. So those three things. Gold, he's king. Frankincense, he's God. Myrrh, he's the suffering savior. Again, what does it say? Frankincense, to offer have I. Incense owns a deity. So they do that. Prayer, praising. And then myrrh is mine. The third man said, It's bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Now we don't know what Jesus thought about all this in his early years. What We do know, and we're going to see this in a couple weeks, 12 years old in the temple, when Mary says, What's going on? Why have you done this? He said, I must be about my father's business. So he knew already, by the time he was 12, that what he had come for. And of course, you know that as you go through the Gospels, as you go through Luke, we'll get there, if, maybe, eventually, someday. Um, he told what he came for. He came to die. came to die. Then like the last verse of that song, too, we sang, Glorious, now behold him, arise. King and God and sacrifice. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, let's take a look. Well, verse 12, let's take, then let's take, go back to Isaiah for just a moment. But notice this, in verse 12, being warned of God in the dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And I would, I would submit to you they were happy to do that. If not for the warning from God, they may well have gone back to Herod, but God said, don't, no, don't go back. Go to your own country. Now let's take a look at Isaiah. I don't know if you noticed something. Back in Isaiah 60, and that's the last scripture. Yes, I promise. There's nothing else here in my notes. So, Isaiah chapter 60. Let's go back there for just a moment. Again, this is this is old. This well, I'm gonna. I don't give give it away. But verse six. Did you notice know anything when I read the verse? Something that was missing, or I mean, not careful there. Not missing from the Bible. (laughs) There's nothing missing. But notice it says, verse 6, Isaiah 60, verse 6, The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. What's not in there? Myrrh. Why? Because this is talking about his coming back to earth to be king. No myrrh this time. Because he he didn't come he, he isn't coming to die the second time. He's coming to be king. He's coming to rule to reign, and it's not just going to be wise men. It's going to be people from all over the earth. They're going to honor him and worship him and bow before him and bring gifts and all those kinds of things. And those from the all over the world, the Gentile people, they're going to hear the Lord say, "Come, f- come, inherit the come blessed of the Lord, inherit the kingdom." Because they received him during the tribulation. And those that live through, who are saved, they're going to be gathered to Jerusalem. Matthew 24 talks about gathering them together. So that's good, what a great day that's going to be. And then of course, as I said earlier, there's some things from Isaiah 60 that only can be fulfilled in the new Jerusalem. But anyway, bringing everything to a close here this morning in the message, I guess you maybe gathered that this morning, but I always find this account so thrilling. So encouraging and so challenging, because the worship the wise men gave to the Christ child is worthy. Several Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. We just looked at a couple. It is also a great example for us to think of the effort they put forth to make such a journey in those days. And I want to close with this. And I've asked myself these questions. I really have. It's appropriate for us to ask ourselves ourselves these questions. How far? Am I willing to go for the Lord? What am I willing to give for the Lord? What am I willing to do for the Lord? Think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just thankful for this account of the wise men and what they, what they came, and what they did, what they gave. And yet, Lord, even more so, we're thrilled by the one that they came to worship, the one that we worship today, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ so, Lord, help us, guide us, lead us, help us to follow thy leading, and to just give ourselves to thee, even as these, these wise men gave their gifts to the Christ child. And we'll thank thee, Lord. Work in our hearts, in our lives, and then, Father, I, I beg thee to work through us in the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books, <coughs> and we'll turn to... Um, hymn number 323. You know, the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. Well, let's stand, please. 323. You know, and the first part of John 3.16, sometimes kind of skip that, but it says, "My um, um, For God so loved the world that he gave Wise men worshipped and gave. And I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about giving. Although, you know, perhaps the Lord would have you to give more. God has blessed. He continues to bless. I don't say it enough. I'm sorry. God has abundantly provided the, f- the finances for our church. We praise Him for it. And yet, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook, alright? If you're not giving as you should. Just, just think about that. Maybe you are. Praise the Lord for it. But anyway, let's sing... Let's sing just the first and the last, all right, Verses one and four. More love to
1: thee. One, verse one, verse four. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bend my earnest plea More love, O Christ, to Thee More love to Thee More love to Thee Then shall my latest breath whisper thy praise. This be the parting cry my heart shall raise. This still its prayer shall be more love, o Christ, to Thee. More love to Thee. More love to Thee.
0: Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy great love for us. Help us to show love to Thee more and more each day. Watch over us now. May the word of God continue to speak to our hearts. Be with us this afternoon. We ask, the Lord, that you would help us to gather together this evening and have, pray your blessing upon the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>